Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you all. Stephanie, wherever you are, I had no idea you were a Greek grammar scholar, and now I'm feeling very anxious. Uh, actually, I think she left, didn't she? Oh, I feel so much better. Okay. Okay. Um, well, it's so good to see all of you here today, this morning. Um, we started a new sermon series last week that we're going to be in in this season of Lent called The Cruciform Life. What we're doing is we're, through the lens of 1 Corinthians, we're exploring basically this idea. What does the cross show us about how to live? We know that the cross is the place where Jesus died, and yet the cross is also meant to be the thing that shows us who believe in Jesus how to live. Jesus didn't just die on the cross himself. He also said anyone who would come after me must die to himself and take up his or her own cross and follow me. And what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to live a cruciform, a cross-shaped life? That's what we're looking at together in this series. So last week we began was 1 Corinthians 1. And this week we moved to the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. And I have to admit to you um, that I have never really felt like I have understood this passage. Um, before this week, I had never really studied it very carefully. I, I've worked really hard to study it. I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall a few times this week. Um, but we, I pray that the Lord has brought light to me and will bring light to all of us as we go to God's word and seek to know his truth through this word that he's given us. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help me and help all of us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the grace that covers us. Thank you for the word through which we hear your voice. You've revealed yourself to us through it. So I pray now for help from your Holy Spirit, for me and for all of us, that we would not just understand what your word is saying, but that we would respond to it with the whole of our lives in obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So hear God's word, friends. Uh, Paul has just finished talking about how We must reject the wisdom of the world. And he now speaks of a different kind of wisdom. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise, by the standards of this world, you should become fools so that you may become wise. 
For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. People of God, this, this, even this confusing word, this good word, even this, this is the word of the Lord. What does it mean to be wise? How do you live a wise life? That's a key question of this text. It's a key question of our time. Wisdom, you know, is different from being smart. You can be a very intelligent person, yet be a fool. Wisdom is the skill of living well. Wisdom is knowing how to live even in the most confusing and difficult of times and circumstances. That's wisdom. And are we not living in a confusing and difficult time, friends? We are living in an age of constant change and constant flux. There is very little consensus in our time about right and wrong, about what is good and just and moral. Institutions that we once depended on for coherence and security in our society, like government and churches and schools, are crumbling and losing public trust. We constantly deal with threats of war and terrorism and pandemics and environmental degradation. Our society is polarized between factions that claim different definitions of reality. It is indeed a confusing age. And perhaps the most confusing thing of all is everybody seems to have an answer about what's wrong and how to fix it about how to live a good life, about the secret, about the way to happiness and health, about how to fix our problems. Talk show hosts, celebrities, pop stars, athletes, politicians, television pundits, your great uncle Frank who forwards you his crazy conspiracy group emails, you know. (laughs) Everybody, you know, you got one of those. Everybody has got an answer for how to live, what to do. Everybody's after the secret, the answer, the solution of what's wrong, how to fix it, how to succeed, how to win at life in the confusing and crazy time that we live in. What does it mean, brothers, what does it mean, sisters, to live a wise life in our age? That's the question that Paul is answering in this text. And his answer is pretty shocking. And that's what we want to look at together today. And this is his answer. It is that the wise life is the cruciform life. And this life looks so foolish to the world that only the Spirit of God can reveal it. That's what he's saying to the Corinthians who are living in a very confusing age of their own. And this is what he's saying to us, that the wise life is the cruciform life. And this way it looks so foolish to the world that only the Spirit of God can reveal it. Okay? So we're just going to look at those two things together. Are you with me, friends? You out there? Okay. So first, let's look at this truth that the wise life is the cruciform life. That's the first section, verses 6 through 10. So look at those verses with me. He's continuing his argument from chapter 1. He is speaking, as you can see here, about the message of wisdom, which has been a mystery hidden by and in God for all time. He says, this is confusing. He says there is a special and secret wisdom of God that the rulers and leaders of this world cannot understand. Now, hear me on this. This has been a notoriously misunderstood and misapplied text. It has been misused by cult leaders. Um, by renegade, charismatic, and heretical spiritual teachers who justify the teaching of extra-biblical truths touted as secret wisdom that they have access to from God. This is why, let me just give you a little lesson here on biblical interpretation, okay? This is why it is so important to read every single text that you ever read in the Bible in its context. Here's a lesson. A text without a context 
is a pretext. Can we say that together, class? A text without a context is a pretext. That means that if you can take any text in the Bible out of its context and use it as a pretext to justify any agenda. You see that? But that is why it's so important that we read this particular text in the context of chapter 1. And therefore, what is the secret wisdom of God that Paul is speaking about here? Class, what is it? Anybody know? The cross, yes. It is the way of the cross. Paul just said it in chapter 1. He said, Jews demand signs, Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim what? Christ crucified, Christ the power and wisdom of God. The secret, mysterious wisdom of God, hidden for long ages, planned by God from the beginning of the world, now revealed at the end of the ages, is the crucified Messiah, that God's salvation has been accomplished through the cross. Now, what Paul says here is that what happened at the cross was so illogical, so counterintuitive, so undermining what any human thought was reasonable, that no one at the time, no rulers or leaders or anyone of any power at the time had a clue, nobody had a clue of what God was doing through the cross. Think about it. Here is a man with no financial power, with no political power, with no military power. Here's a man who dies at the age of 33, a slave's death with nothing but a handful of illiterate peasants as his followers. Here's a man who dies penniless, his only possession a robe, which is bartered away in a game of poker. Here is a man who is abandoned by all of his friends, abandoned by his followers, abandoned even by God, and is buried in a borrowed grave. And yet, this one, not despite those things, but because of those things, because of his abandonment, because of his humiliation, because of his sacrifice, because of his death, through that man and this particular death, God has accomplished the salvation of the world. Do you see that? It doesn't make any sense, friends. It makes no sense. We live in a world in which you want to win, you beat the competition. You want to go up, you go up. You want power, you grab power. You want influence, you network with the powerful and influential people. This is the way of wisdom in the world. Every culture, every religion, every worldview, every philosophy just basically says the same thing in different forms. The powerful win. The spoils go to the strong. The ones who perform get the reward. But the cross, the cross is like a rock shattering the window that is the wisdom of the world. It contradicts everything we've ever been told. It overturns human value systems. Everything you've ever heard about what it means to be successful and live a good and wise life is undermined by the message of the cross because if it's true, the way up is the way down. The way to get power is to give power away. The way to happiness is to not seek your own happiness. The way to real riches is to give your riches away. The way to greatness is to admit your lostness. The way to redemption is through suffering. The way to power is through weakness. The way to life is through death. It is a completely upside-down way of living. This is the cruciform way of wisdom. And I want you to hear, friends, the gospel of the cross, this good news of the cross, is not just like one more option in the cafeteria 
of wisdom in the world. It's not just one more philosophy, one more religion, one more good way to live, one more worldview. It's not a conservative thing. It's not a liberal thing. It's not a traditional thing. It's not a progressive thing. It undermines everything, every worldview, everything in the world. Freud, Sigmund Freud famously said that God is just a projection of human wants and desires. But you see, nobody would have ever wanted this. Nobody would have ever desired or thought up a God who becomes vulnerable, a God who gives up power, a God who suffers, a God who loses, a God who dies. And through that very death, God accomplishes the salvation of the world. And yet this is the way of wisdom. Friends, we need to move on, but let me just say this. I want you to hear this. Never move beyond the cross. Spirituality is really popular these days, just like it was in Corinth. But Paul is saying here, as he says in many other places, that true spirituality, true maturity, always comes from a deeper grasp and experience of the cross. The Corinthians wanted more, right? They wanted some kind of secret wisdom. Paul's simple message of the cross seemed, it seemed like preschool to them, right? It seemed elementary. They were like, come on, dude, can't we get beyond this? Give us some we want some spiritual graduate school, you know? <laughs> Give us something more esoteric, something more difficult. But Paul says God's secret wisdom is Christ crucified. The deepest truth about God in the very depths of God's heart is the message of the cross. You never graduate from this. You never advance beyond the basic truth of the cross. Growth in the Christian life means growing deeper and deeper into the grace that God has given us through Jesus on the cross. I want you to hear me, friends. Be very wary of anyone, Christian or not, who encourages you to see the ultimate key to life or the ultimate secret to spirituality as anything other than this, centering on the basic message of a crucified Messiah. Because this indeed, friends, is the upside-down way of wisdom, the way of the cross. The wise life is the cruciform life. Second, though, the second thing he moves to talk about in verses 11 through 16 is that this life is so foolish that only the Spirit of God can reveal it. So if this is so foolish, how does a person come to understand it and begin living in this upside-down, cruciform way? Well, in this section, Paul says the only way this is possible is if the Spirit of God reveals it and makes it plain. Look at verse 11 with me. No one knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. Now, this is just a simple observation he's making. He's saying the only person who really knows you is you. You know, the only person who knows what you're thinking is, is you. Let's do an experiment, okay? Kids, uh, what, what am I thinking about right now? Or adults, what do you think I'm, what am I thinking about? No, I'm not thinking about God. No, no, no. I am imagining myself wearing a chicken suit, dancing on the side of Parham Road, just right out here. Was it, now, was anybody, did anybody guess that? No, you did not. Nobody guessed it. Why? Because no one guessed it. Because look, verse 11, no one knows a person's thought except their own spirit. See, the Bible's true. We, we, just, we just proved it. Now, what Paul is saying is then he applies this same idea to God. If you move on in verse 11, he says in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So listen, he says, just like only you know your own mind and heart, there is only one person who knows God's mind and heart, and that is the spirit of God himself who searches the deep things of God. And yet the spirit, Paul says, has chosen to make the very mind and heart of God known and revealed to you and to me. 
just like Jesus promised. John 14, 26. The counselor whom the Spirit, the fa- who the Father will send in my name, will teach and show you all things. So he's saying that the Spirit, the only one who knows the deep mysteries of the heart and mind of God, comes to you and me and makes known and reveals the heart and mind of God to humans, to you and me. Isn't that amazing? Specifically, he says, he opens our mind and our heart to grasp and believe in the wisdom of the cross. Look at verse 12. So we can understand what God has freely given us. So here's what he's saying, okay? Hear me, friends. The cross is so crazy, so counterintuitive, so nonsensical to the wisdom of the world that it takes the miraculous, supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit for any person to see the cross and not see foolishness, but to see the wisdom of God. And what that means is this. If you're here and you believe in the cross, you believe that on the cross, Jesus Christ died your death, took your penalty, took your place, was crucified on your behalf and raised for your salvation. If you are here and you believe that, it's not because you're smart. It's not because you're moral. It's not because you're good. Uh, It's not because you you, you were born in a Christian family or because you were born below the Mason-Dixon line. It's not because you were somehow like predisposed to be a Christian because of your exceptional interior character. No. If you believe the message of the cross, it is because of a miraculous intervening work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Because that is the only way that any person would ever see something as foolish as the cross and see wisdom in it. Right? That's what he's saying. But it's also on the flip side, what he's saying is, if you don't have the Spirit, you can't understand the meaning of the cross. So look at verse 14. He says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit, but considers them foolishness and can't understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. So when you don't have the Spirit, you look at the cross and it looks stupid. So Frederick Nietzsche, for example, in the 19th century said, only a weak and imbecilic person would believe in a weak and crucified God. Uh, uh, Alfred Jules Ayers, one of the leading 20th century British philosophers, said the doctrine of the atonement on the cross is intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. Bertrand Russell, who wrote Why I'm Not a Christian, said no one who is in his right mind could actually believe that God would deal with human sin on a cross. Now, these are smart people, smart men. And this is, but this is why you may meet many smart people, many intelligent people, people who even believe in God, But the idea of God saving the world and punishing sin on a cross is offensive at worst and silly at best. Because to someone who does not have the Spirit of God, the message of the cross is utter foolishness. Not only that, but the way of the cross is foolishness. The cruciform way is foolishness to those who don't have the Spirit. Let me just give you... um, a different kind of example from British philosophers that's maybe a little bit more true or, or uh, similar to the kind of things that we deal with in everyday life. So I was watching American Idol a few years ago, which I admit is pretty fun to watch. And uh, there was a contestant on the show, and uh, I'll never forget this. She was somehow, um, I don't know how this came out, but somehow it sort of came out to the judges. She sort of admitted that she was saving herself sexually for marriage. That she was, not, she was waiting to have sex until she got married. And Simon Cowell, oh my gosh, he just thought this was the most ridiculous thing he had ever heard. And, and he started mocking this girl. And she became a pariah on the show. And, and she looked, to everybody who was watching, she, she looked like a fool. So provincial. So ridiculous. 
So silly. And what it reminded me of is that choosing to go the way of God, even with your sexuality, is cruciform. It's cruciform. It involves self-denial. It means putting obedience to God before gratification of personal sexual desires. It means trusting that God's assessment about what makes for a good life is actually wiser than your own assessment. And frankly, guys, this makes no sense. It makes no sense in our world which says, be true to yourself, be true to your desires. See, it's not just the message of the cross, but it's the way of the cross that looks foolishness to the world. But it takes the intervention of the Spirit to not just make the cross, but the way of the cross attractive and beautiful and wise. My sweet eight-year-old daughter, Phoebe, has the mind of and the eye of an artist. She sees anything, the, the, the scrappiest piece of trash. In fact, she goes through our trash. Uh, she picks out egg cartons or pieces of ribbon or a, a, a tin can and sees something beautiful in it and can create something beautiful out of it. So if you see her going through the trash, I, we do feed this girl. Um, she is just looking for our projects. I'm embarrassing her here. But, um, but listen... Two people can see the same thing, and one sees trash, the other sees beauty. That's my point. And the same message of a man on a cross, one sees something offensive and stupid, and the other sees something beautiful and wise. And what's the difference? The Holy Spirit of God. Only the Spirit of God can do such things. So let me sum up, okay? Here's our, here's our theme for today. The wise life is the cruciform life, and this way it looks so foolish to the world that only the Spirit of God can reveal it. So let me just try to apply this in a couple of ways, okay? First of all, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're not sure you are, or if you feel really far from God, I want to speak to you just for a moment, okay? So hear me. Um, I hope you can see that Christianity is not just a set of beliefs or a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not even really a religion. Christianity is something that happens to you. Something that happens to you. It's a supernatural intervention of God himself, the Spirit, who comes from the outside, inside, so that you can grasp who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So that you can, as Paul says, know all the things that he's prepared for those who love him. Some of you have experienced this. You know what I'm talking about. You know, um, you're singing a hymn, or you're singing a worship song, or maybe you read something, or maybe you're just like reading a piece of liturgy, like in our worship service, a word, words of comfort or something, and all of a sudden you find yourself crying. And you find yourself moved. You, you realize that this super simple message of a God subjecting himself to humiliation and death for your sake is moving you to the core. And you, and you want it. You want it. You, you want to live differently. You, you want to live for this man. You're, you're, you find your heart being changed by this grace and, 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 you, and you want to be different, you know? Has that happened to you? Jesus calls that being reborn. Being born again by the Spirit. It's the mysterious intervention of the Spirit to take what once was foolish and now make it wise. And you might be discouraged. You're thinking, oh, great. How do I get that? If Christianity is not something I do, but it's something that happens to me, well, how do I do that? Well, I'll tell you. Here's the good news, friends. Don't worry. You're here. You're listening. You're listening to this. So don't worry. Some of you, some, well, some of you aren't listening. Some of you are checking your Facebook page right now. That's okay. But some of you are listening, and you sense a yearning and a desire inside of you. And I want you to see, 
take heart because you wouldn't even experience a yearning. You wouldn't even be here today. You wouldn't even be listening. You wouldn't even have a longing inside of you unless the Spirit of God was already working in you to open your heart. He's already working in you or else you never would have asked the question. So what should you do? Respond to him. He's knocking. The door is cracked open. Do you see? Go to him. The Spirit is drawing you. Respond to him. Let me also speak to those of you who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus here today. First thing I think this speaks to our attitude towards those who are not believers. Our attitude. Let's just be honest. Sometimes Christians can be the biggest jerks. It's sad but true. They can be the meanest people. They can be the most judgmental people. Maybe you have been. Maybe I have been. You look at someone who isn't a Christian, maybe a neighbor or someone at work, and you know the way that they're living, and you see the way that they're talking, and you judge them, you condemn them, you feel superior to them. But listen, friends, if what Paul is saying here is true about the Spirit, you've got to let them off the hook. Here's a newsflash, church. Newsflash. People who don't have the Spirit of God will not behave like they have the Spirit of God. If we could get that into our heads, things would be a lot better, right? So Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 5, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? See, judge each other. That's what, I'm just kidding. Don't judge. Although we will get to that in just a second. But seriously, what Paul is saying is someone who doesn't have the spirit is not capable of seeing and believing in the wisdom of the cross. So why should you look down on them? Why should you judge them? Why would you have an attitude of superiority, Right? You have nothing to be judgmental about. You are not better. You are not more moral. You are not more righteous. You are not more superior. The only thing that makes you different from anyone who is not a believer is that the Spirit of God has opened your eyes to grasp the grace of Jesus. That's it. And as we move into this parish life, one of the great goals is that hopefully you will be spending a lot more time with your neighbors, and many of those people do not know Jesus. Let me tell you, friends, your neighbors do not need your judgment. Your neighbors do not need your self-righteousness. I have, has anyone said, I became a Christian because my neighbor was living such a good self-righteous life? (laughs) Said no one ever, right? (laughs) No, what our neighbors need, what our world needs is not our judgment, not our condemnation, but our compassion, our mercy, our love, and our prayer. That they too would be grasped by the Spirit of God. See that? So it speaks to our attitude. And finally, and I think this might be the most important thing, and this is, I really speak to you here, family of God. If you believe in the cross, you must live the wisdom of the cross. You must live the upside-down life. Paul's biggest anxiety in this whole letter is that the Corinthians, who have the Spirit of God, are living instead according to the wisdom of the world. There is more Corinth in the Christians than there is of Christ. And for Paul, this is the most horrifying thing of ever. He says, it's understandable that people who don't have the Spirit would behave in this way, but you, you know him. You've been illumined by the Spirit. You see the wisdom of the cross. You've come into the upside down. You know the mind of Christ. Stop acting. I'm trying to impersonate Paul here, okay? Stop acting like non-spirit people, pettiness and envy and greed and competitive jostling for position. You are not behaving as those who have the Spirit of God. I love what he says in chapter 3. Are you not acting merely human? You're acting like a human. 
Hopefully this was a wake-up call for them. Hopefully, friends, it is a wake-up call for us, the American church. Study after study shows that in America, there is no discernible difference between the Christian population and the wider non-Christian population in anything. And consumer habits and political attitudes and racial attitudes and divorce rates and foster and adoption rates and generosity and philanthropy and pornography usage, there is more America in the church than there is of Christ. And as those who believe in the cross of Jesus, who have been illumined by the Spirit, have been brought into the upside down, we are called to live every day not according to the wisdom of the world, but according to the wisdom, the upside down wisdom of the cross. And this is hard, friends. This requires vigilance. This requires self-examination, looking into the ways that we are shaped more by the wisdom of the world that runs contrary to the wisdom of God. So, for example, when you think of success, what do you think of? Do you think of wealth and a big house and a secure retirement? Or do you think of a life lived in sacrificial service when you think of success? When you think of beauty, do you think of Beyonce and Ryan Gosling and all the pop stars and superstars that we'll see walking down the red carpet in just a couple of weeks at the Oscars? Or do you, when you think of beauty, do you think of the ones that the Lord pursues, the quartet of the vulnerable, the poor, the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow? When you think of greatness, do you think of applause and acclaim and power and reputation? Or do you think of little acts of self-giving and sacrifice and humility and obedience and service? Get off the hang-ups, friends. We've got to get off the hang-ups of brilliance and fame and acclaim and influence and money and power. When we do, we forget the way of the cross. Let's hear Paul's words to us. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Let me close with a reference to C.S. Lewis's very fascinating book called The Great Divorce. This is about a bus tour from hell to heaven in which the author is led by a tour guide along the journey to see the sights of heaven. And at one point, the man who's telling this story is in heaven and he sees the spirits and he sees this beautiful, gorgeous woman who is beautiful beyond bearing. She is radiating light. And she's attended on all sides by boys and girls and men and women who are dancing around her, singing her praises. Her love is flowing out into them. Their love is flowing back into her. It says her beauty was unbearable. And the author looks at her and he turns to his guide and he says, he says, is that, is that who I think it is? And the guide says, no, not at all. It's somebody you never heard of. And he says, well, I thought it was someone very famous. And the guide says, oh, no, no, no. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith. And she lived in a tiny little house north of London in a place called Golders Green. And he said, but she seems, well, a, a person of great and particular importance. And yes, said the guide, she is one of the great ones. But haven't you heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two very different things? Do you understand what's going on here? Sarah Smith of Golders Green, she's a nobody. She lives in a nobody, nobody neighborhood. She has no career, no prestige, she will never be on the cover of Time magazine. She wasn't even on the cover of her own local paper. And yet when she got to the kingdom, 
She is one of the great ones in which others bask in her love. Why? Because she had a vision of wisdom in which she quietly eschewed the wisdom of the world and instead went the cruciform way, that she would give to others the love that she receives from her crucified Lord. And as a result, she is great in the kingdom. Haven't you heard, friends, that fame in that country is very different than fame on earth? Don't you want that? Become a fool. Go the way of the cross, and then you will be wise. Let's pray. Maybe just take a moment to respond to the Lord. If there's any way in your life where you feel the Spirit convicting you that you are operating according to the wisdom of the world in any part of your life, whether it be your job or your marriage uh, or your... um, your work or your school, your money, your ambition? What is it that the Spirit is showing to you now, and would you just surrender that to Him? Father, I do pray that if there are any here that are feeling the nudge and the pull of the Spirit, that they would respond to you today that they would believe in the cross. And for all of us, God, may we have the power from the Spirit in everyday life to go the way of Jesus, to go the way of the cross. And would you give us life and victory in this way? We pray in his name. Amen.